and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. Each week, we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Amy Austin, news editor at FT Advisor, and today I will be discussing the potential comeback of annuities with Mark Ormston, Director of Propositions and Corporate Partnerships at Retirement Line, and Emma Watkins, Managing Director of Retirement and Longstanding at Scottish Widows. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us today. So uh, in 2022, annuity rates have climbed up by 40 to 50% and, you know, they've seen their 14-year high. For example, uh, someone aged 65 with a £100,000 pension could at some time get an annuity income of over £7,000 a year, which is up from just under £5,000 in October last year. And obviously, these rates have been boosted by the soaring long-term guilt yields that we have seen. And in late September and early October, there were some particularly sharp increases, which were in part, you know, due to the financial markets having less confidence in the government following the mini budget back in September. So, Emma, I thought maybe we could start with you. Could we say that, you know, annuities are making some sort of comeback in people's retirement planning? Yeah, I, I think we can, Amy. Um, so we're certainly seeing an increase um, in the open market where individuals are obviously searching for, for the best annuity rate that, that they can get. And I think there's been a combination of increasing annuity rates, making it look more, look more attractive. I think there's also um, the decline in DB pensions, which obviously used to be where people would get their longevity protection from. And I think the recent market market volatility has really shown to people the value of a guarantee so yeah in essence I think annuities are making a comeback and what do you think Mark I know you're quite an expert in annuities yourself I'll echo everything that Emma's just said to be honest with you it's um it's it's when it's on that last point I think it's really quite clear that during times of volatility, people look for certainty and guarantees, and that's exactly what the annuity offers. Of course, there's this big trade-off. So what we don't want to see is an awful lot of people doing a knee-jerk reaction uh, when they saw their pension fund or their drawdown fund going lower and moving the whole thing into an annuity about really thinking through what that means to them and giving up that flexibility. Sure. And how long do you think that these, you know, these higher rates might last? Are they, you know, is it something that we're just going to see for the year or are they here to stay for a bit longer and we could see them plunge back down again? I think while, you know, the, the Bank of England and the government are tackling high inflation, we're going to have these sorts of levels of high interest rates, which is impacting on the guilds. So I do think we're going to see this sort of rate of uh, annuities for a little while, probably around that sort of 7% mark, so that's 7,000 per 100,000 for a level annuity or around that sort of 4.2%, so 4,200 on an RPI basis for a 65-year-old for, for a little while, at least probably 12 to 18 months, certainly while inflation is knocking around anyway. Sure, and Emma, is this something that you also think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I think so. I think we'll see an increase, a, a continued increase in the rates, which will make it more attractive. I think we'll see people value the longevity protection even more. And we can talk a little bit about longevity if that's helpful, Amy. Um, but interestingly, um, I also think that annuities will make a comeback because I think historically, and Mark, you'd know this better than I, but historically it's been a either or. So it's been drawdown or annuity. Um, I think the market individuals brokers, advisors are now understanding that actually a mixture of drawdown 
an annuity probably lends itself to a better result. And I think that's currently being explored given where annuity rates are. And I think that will continue to happen. Yeah. And what is this kind of blended, you know, annuities drawdown? What does it kind of look like in terms of retirement planning? I think from my point of view, and you look at it from the numbers as well. So you look at the FCA, the time income market data that comes through, most annuity purchases are actually under 30,000. The 30,000 fund value pot sizes and less. And for me, that would indicate that people may be purchasing an annuity with either small pots. That's all they have. They can't afford to take any risk with it. Or they do have all these other pots and options and actually looking to, to secure a certain level of income. So against those essential household bills, if they don't get paid, um, it be up at night, get them covered through an annuity and enjoy flexibility and investment exposure with any funds on top of that. And for me, that, that works really well. We've got two fantastic building blocks there, drawdown and annuity. It's just now how do we get these two working together? We can do it in, in sequence, so drawdown leading into an annuity. So when that longevity risk becomes too much to bear in someone's 70s or 80s, uh, maybe switching wholesale to an annuity at that stage, I actually... For me, personally, I quite like the idea of having the two working simultaneously, so in conjunction with each other, if that's if that's possible. I agree, Mark. So, so Amy, I, I, I can see a real benefit to securing those fixed costs so that you know that you've got that covered over the long term for as long as, as, as you live, which is really very important. I, I can also see people transitioning over tranches of their drawdown into annuity as they get older. And there's a number of reasons for that. So Mark's made the very good point around um, doing that because the longevity risk may be too much to bear for the individual. I also think there's something around financial competency here. So we know that as people get older, their financial competency gets lower. Interestingly, their confidence in their financial competency tends to increase and so you've got a double whammy there Um, and I think moving into an annuity in that later life actually protects against that. Sure so do you think that maybe annuities should always be you know part of an advisor's like financial planning or you know people's retirement plans despite what rate they're getting do you think you know even at lower rates lower rates people should still consider using them? I personally think they should always consider it. I think there are probably a couple of areas where it's not necessary to consider it, and they are quite specific. So I suppose if you've been in a DB scheme and you've got a large DB benefit, that's going to give you the equivalent in terms of a guaranteed income. And in that circumstance, I can see why an annuity, an individual annuity, may not be attractive. Clearly, we've still got a fair few of the UK population in public sector schemes, so the same would apply. And then the, the only final area where I think annuity might not have a part to play is where you're particularly wealthy and you want to leave your pension um, in terms of inheritance and again locking that into an annuity will prevent that from happening and therefore in that particular circumstance it might not be relevant. Sean what do you think Mark? Yeah I agree with that and I think Again, it's a really case of an annuity has to be considered throughout. So what we see at the moment is an awful lot of people making a one-off decision as they first access their pension. If they haven't got access to that financial advice, it's that non-advised market that I really worry about because are they having the value for me ongoing advice in the ongoing parts? They they know when circumstances change, whereas you don't get that on the non-advised space. Sure. And kind of just going into drawdown a little bit more. I know we've kind of spoken about how they can maybe like work together in tandem, but why is it that maybe annuities have been kind of ignored 
in the recent past in favour of drawdown? Do you think that it's like when pension freedom's coming, everyone kind of rushed to draw down instead? I, I think it's a couple of things. Um, so I think there is there was that double whammy of pension freedoms and the falls and guilt yields, which reduced the annuity rates, which made them look particularly unattractive, particularly given most people underestimate the length of time they're going to live and therefore underestimate the value of that guarantee. Um, I also think that actually a lot of people are entering drawdown at the moment while DC pots are still relatively small to access their tax-free cash. So actually, and Mark, you might you might have some insight into this. Certainly what we're seeing is lots of people going into drawdown, taking their tax free cash and then leaving it there. So not drawdown in the traditional sense, but more a way of accessing that tax free cash. Yeah, I feel like I'm an FCA data machine, but it's something like 60 percent, isn't it? 60 percent of all new drawdown plans are tax free cash only and, and no regular payments set up. So, you know, backs up exactly what you're saying from from that point of view. And I think, um, you know, going back to Amy's question, I think you, you don't really want an awful lot of people fixing their income straight away either in the current circumstances, having that flexibility. It's the right choice. So pension freedoms wasn't this terrible thing. Um, I think potentially what we've gone into is this binary choice. You have to do either or. And this, for me, this last sort of few months has been a fantastic opportunity to turn around and go, no, I know annuity rates are great right now. So why don't you take a slice, use a part of your pot and benefit from those higher rates, get that locked in, get that bit secured for the rest of your life, but then still enjoy the investment exposure because we know historically what goes down does go up and what goes up does go down. You're not going to stay low forever. And do you find, Mark, that clients are quite like open to discussing annuities or because I think the word annuity might put some people off. Like I don't think they truly understand what they actually are. Yeah, I think it's it's quite interesting. Um, I think a lot of people thought they got a bit of a bad name when uh, Mr. Osborne stood up and said, no, we'll have to buy one again. Um, I, I don't think that um, people are, I don't think it needs a rebrand. I'll get my words out in a second. I don't think annuities re- need a rebrand. I think they're absolutely fine as, as they are. But I think people need to understand what the product offers, just like with all the other products. So this is what you're getting. And these are the trade-offs. There's always pros and cons. But again, for, for me, we need to spend a bit more time. So we spend five minutes talking about drawdown, five minutes talking about annuities. We then spend 30 seconds saying, oh, we can have a combination of the two. We actually probably need to spend five minutes talking about how the two can interact together. And I think you'll see a lot more of this blended solution um, come to life. Sean, what about you, Emma? Do you think they're okay as they are? Do you think, you know, maybe they should be called something a bit different? (laughs) (laughs) Really interesting question, Amy, because when you ask people whether they want a guaranteed income for life, everyone says yes. When you then ask them if they want to buy an annuity, more often than not, they'll say no. So um, so, so I think there is a, a bad press associated with annuity. And, and, you know, as we've discussed, that's not helped by those lower annuity rates um, and the fact people don't don't value that guarantee. Um, whether a rebrand is necessary or just a re-education, I'm not sure. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the FSA is kind of looking into retirement income a little bit more with terms of like drawdown. Will annuities kind of, you know, fall into this? Yeah, I think I think it will do. I think the FCA has always taken, uh, you know, based, said that guaranteed income plays a very strong part in their, their planning and they, they want to see greater take up. I, I do think that 
you know, we're talking about the potential rebrand or educating about the annuity market. The annuity market still has been great. We've been making some great progress, but there's still a long way to go for me. So things like single life versus joint life annuities, you know, I think that's a, that's a real problem that's going to be coming down, down the line. You know, 70 odd percent are single life annuities. Only 20 something odd percent are, are joint life. And that doesn't marry up with the actual demographic out there. Um, and the same with guarantee periods, joint life, um, sorry, joint life escalating or level annuities. So we're in a high inflation environment that less than 15% of annuities sold have any sort of inflation protection. So I really think the FCA needs to look at the annuity market isolation as well to address some of these issues. Sure. Emma, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, yeah, I think this point on shaping of an annuity is really, really important. Um, you know, to Mark's point around joint life versus single life. Um, we know from ONS statistics, can't speak, that um, 61% of those in England and Wales over 16 now say that they're in a couple, that 61% are couples. Now, that, that might change slightly for the older age population. In fact, it's probably higher for the older age population. If you consider that, say, 60% are couples, but only 30% um, of annuities bought to provide for the spouse, there's a huge disconnect there. There might be reasons where that's appropriate, but a number of the calls that we get in to our call centre at Scottish Widows are wives typically phoning up to, to express disbelief, frankly, that their husband's bought a single life annuity and hasn't provided for them after he's passed. So I think this is something we really need to focus on. I think we also need to focus on guarantee periods. And, and I have a little example, if, if you'll let me, that might bring that to life a little. So we had um, a really unfortunate circumstance where a male customer um, came to us to buy an annuity at age 60. Pot was just over £100,000. He received financial advice. He opted for a single life annuity with no guarantee period. Very sadly, he passed away within a few weeks of that purchase. The nature of that annuity meant that his widow and his young family had nothing to provide for after his death. And yet for just decreasing his annuity by £12 a year, he could have bought a 10-year guarantee. And, and I, I use that example because I really want to bring this to life. It really is a very small sacrifice of, say, £12 a year to provide that certainty if you're to pass sooner than you hoped. And do you think maybe the cost of living crisis at the moment might put people off of annuities? Because, you know, we're hearing silly things like, you know, cancel your Netflix subscription and, you know, and even things like, you know, people are kind of cancelling protection policies. You know, are annuities one of these things that you think people think, you know what, I can't be paying out per month on this? I think you see that with the product options. So you're looking at annuity anyway, and you go through the product options, and, and we do it all a little bit backwards. So sometimes we don't go, okay, this is your circumstances. So we start with a joint life annuity with a 10-year guarantee period. That's not where we start. We start single life, maximum income, and all of a sudden people feel like income's being taken away from them. But actually, in reality, if you looked at the product outcome, we fast forward 20, 30 years, probably find that higher income over that course of the time has been paid out by having these options and benefits there. And, uh, you know, Emma's point's really valid. We, we see a lot of that, you know, £12 uh, a month is not a huge sacrifice, but maybe it's the way that the information is presented. So, you know, sometimes we just say it's a 10-year guarantee period, but we don't say, okay, that 10-year guarantee period is this income times 10. So you're this amount of capital in essence, is guaranteed to be paid out whether you're alive or not. Sure. Is this something you're finding, Emma? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the vast majority of um, annuities we sell a single life, the vast majority are, are non-increasing. So as I say, um, only uh, 70%, so a whole 70% are single life and actually 80% are non-increasing. So very aligned with uh, the figures that Mark gave you there and probably not appropriate for the demographic of individual we find purchasing those annuities. And what kind of individual would you say are, are kind of the best person to buy an annuity? Like, would it be, you know, your mid 50s when you've just kind of gone thinking about retirement? Or would it be, you know, later on when you're kind of you've used drawdown, you've kind of you've used your tax free? Um, is it now like, oh, actually, I'm going to buy an annuity now because that's the most suitable option? Yeah, I think for me, everyone's circumstances are different. But I think the longer you can leave the annuity, the better your rate will be. Um, and on top of that, you'll get things like medical underwriting, care parts. We see that statistically. But really interestingly for me, again, the FCA data, I spend far too much time on that, <laughs> on that spreadsheet. Um, you, you see that actually 95% of all lifetime annuities purchased are by people aged 74 and younger. So I think when Freedoms came along, we sort of set up, everyone's going to start buying them a bit later. And that's not happened yet. Okay, so Freedoms is still pretty early. Um, so there's still time for that cohort of um pensioners and retirees to come through and start purchasing an annuity but again it takes me back to actually annuities probably right for the majority of people at some point in their journey whether that's towards the end or like I say from the outset and having some essentials covered. Sure Emma are you seeing this? Yeah yeah absolutely um I think I think, personal opinion, that actually we're going to need to see a generation of fairly poor off pensioners before this really hits. So I, I suspect that will be my generation. Unfortunately, I don't have much DB provision at all. Um, so most of mine is saved in, into a DC pot. Um, Fortunately, I'm in the profession, so hopefully I've saved a little bit more than most, but I suspect my generation will be the, the real poor pensioners, and it will be our children who see us as poor pensioners that then start to really understand the benefit of pensions and that guaranteed income for life. Um, in terms of the age that you, you buy, um, you know, we've talked about it. I do think there's a, there is a place for this sliver of annuity to be um, purchased against your fixed costs um, and then for you to transfer into annuity as you get older um, and that's as much because you'll get great rates doing that but also because your lifestyle is going to change so you'd like to think that as soon as you retire that's going to be I'm hoping uh, the prime of your life right but that that first 10 years in retirement is when you can really enjoy yourself and I suspect my my spend in that time will be much higher than when I'm in my 80s so I think we also have to understand what our spend might look like over our retirement and make sure that we fix into a retirement income that matches that. Sure maybe just to kind of finish this off obviously we've got the consumer duty coming along how are kind of how is this going to change the kind of annuity landscape, Emma, if we could start with you? Yeah, so so I, I don't think it will change it an awful lot. Mark might disagree, but I don't think it will change it an awful lot because actually I think the annuity market has been 
robustly regulated quite rightly and the fact that we have to make sure that an individual gets to see the open market option gets to see what the best rate is available I think actually the annuity market is functioning pretty well I think where where the consumer duty will impact is on the stuff that we've talked about where where perhaps the market isn't acting as rationally as it should so joint life rather than single life escalating rather than non-escalating and I think it will also be really incumbent on us all to make sure that people understand what they're purchasing and one of the downsides of an annuity is it's irrevocable right you can't just change your mind later down the line and we need to make sure that um, our customers understand that as well as all the advantages of it as well sure mark do you agree I really want to disagree, just because <laughs> I set me up to. Um, I, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not going to, to disagree. I do think um, where it might change things. Actually, I don't think it's good enough anymore just to go online and use uh, an annuity tool and say, right, I've, I've done my, I've completed my review. That's it. I think we need to get much more granular. The annuity market's moved much more into individual underwriting, so we need to make sure that that's being practiced and followed by everyone when they're getting an annuity rate. So people are looking at accurate annuity rates and not just um, sort of base rates that are being presented on, on the first glance of an annuity calculator. I think that's where the consumer duty may make a bit of a difference. Sure. Well, Mark, Emma, thank you so much for joining us this week. Tune in next week where we will be discussing other goings on in the industry. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.